Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. My name is Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest Thinking Out Loud, where I explore uh, topics in the board gaming universe that are of interest to everybody. Uh, and th- what is more interesting than price? How we price games, how expensive are games, how expensive have games been, how expensive are they going to be, why are they going to be so expensive? Uh, and uh, following up on my video that I did, if you saw just the self stories, feed on prices and the psychological effects. But I'm a psychologist, I am not an economist, and I'm not a business person. I do not, I've never made a game, never published a game. So I put out the call on Twitter and my friend has responded. This is the first time I'm meeting him and it's been a pleasure to speak with him so far. I'm looking forward to this conversation. He is the founder and CEO of Ford Circle Games, uh, bringing to you such games as Shores of Tripoli and uh, Women Votes, I forget exactly what's, the, what's that called? Votes for women. Votes for women. I had the words correct. <laughs> and uh, a lot of different uh, historical games that are coming down the pipe. Uh, he is Kevin Bertram. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good to it's meet everybody. Cool. Oh, man, it's great. Now, thank you so much for uh, helping us out. So um, you, so the reason uh, that someone, I think it was one of uh, my fans, uh, sorry, I, I didn't note that, note that um, but was a backer of Shorts of Triple And remember that you gave an update that really laid out. You know, uh, the, the printing and the cost, like just in granular detail, if you ever want to know like what the pricing is of a, of a, a game, not, not a card game that's tiny, not a minis game that's giant, but like a center of the hobby game uh, really laid it out for us. Uh, so we're going to go through that and we're going to have a little bit of an education and the episode will be in two parts, but I'll get into that in a little bit. First, let's introduce you and Fort Circle. Uh, you do have some games and both your games so far that are about to hit have solo mode. So the One Stop Co-op Shop is very excited about that. So tell us a little bit about Fort Circle games and what you have to offer. Sure. So we are a historical publisher. Um, I would say that yes! we are looking, yes! <laughs> we're looking for games that are a little bit outside the ordinary or historical topics that aren't covered. So we're never going to make a game about the East Front in World War II because there's like 500 of those. Brazilian, and so yeah. we're always looking for kind of unique historical topics that are important, but but a little underrepresented, at least in the gaming industry, probably not in not in you know history overall. And so um, I was really happy. So I thought it would be really kind of demystifying for folks. And so the Shores of Tripoli was published. We had a 5,000 print run. We're selling through that pretty excited. And so I thought, you know, people want to probably know. I mean, I want to know what the costs are and how it works for other companies. And so um, as an update, I posted that and we'll go into that in detail mm-hmm. in a little bit when you're ready. Sure. Um, but I've also been a pretty avid Kickstarter user. I joined in May in 2010. Um, I've backed over 500 projects. So I back about 50 a year. Um, my very first one was the Alien Frontiers, which, wow. you know, it, it raised, yeah. I got it here. It raised 14,885 <laughs> from 228 backers. And that, and that was, was a that record was at the time, my friend, yeah. a record. And now that's, you know, that's a bad day's work for some companies. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, so, you know, I'm happy to talk about the Kickstarter process or not really. I mean, I'll talk about that, but I'm sure lots of other people can talk that, about that more authoritatively than I can, mm-hmm. but I will give you the exact costs that occurred for us. And then I'll also talk about how these 
price increases are affecting us as a publisher, even though we haven't increased the price for votes for women, nor will we increasing prices next year, but it's definitely going to put us under some cost pressure, profit pressure. So Mm -hmm. I'm happy to go into that that as you would like me to. So So we're going to structure the episode. um, uh, We're going to break things up into sections. So the first thing is just the education, right? I think, you know, you have uh, a Scherzer Triple E's like right in the middle. So that's not a small card game. It's not a huge minis game. It's right in the middle of what we're used to paying ish. Right. Uh, so I want to get a sense for how that breaks down and give people education, what the costs are and ask some specific questions there. And then number two, I want to talk about the thing that I talked about in the video, which was kind of deluxification, you know, and just the pricing and how that all plays in because that's separate from the manufacturing. So then um, then th- at that th- at last piece, we're going to depress the people. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. With, we'll leave the people with the best news possible, which is the 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 crud that's happening in China uh, or like with manufacturing in general, but we'll save that toward the end. So we'll do one, two, three. Sounds um, good. So then, okay. So let's talk about, uh, so short of Tripoli, 5,000 copies, right? Yep. Uh, I think that the game was MSRP, what, 69.95? Well, the MSRP is 70 and I'll talk about that in a second. 70, so yeah. MSRP is so messy because what you're really thinking about is the three tier distribution system that still somewhat exists in the hobby where a retailer will pay 50% of MSRP and uh, a wholesaler or or distributor will pay 40% of MSRP. So uh, a game that costs $70, which, you know, very few people charge that they charge usually like 65 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, If we sell it to a wholesaler, it's $28 to us. And if we sell it to a retailer directly, it's $35. So that's kind of where that MSRP comes in. And you're like, oh, well, you know, of course, the middlemen deserve their cuts, but as we talk about it, we'll kind of see where that's going to probably cause some price increases. Sure. sure. Um, so, uh, but so we're going to get into the price, but we should probably give context about what Shores of Tripoli is. I say it's in the middle. You know, it's not a card game, not a biz game. Uh, it is a war game, I guess. Dudes in a, a map. It's it's a, a yeah. Okay. It's a history game that you know looks at both military and diplomatic and economic okay. aspects of a war. So yes, it's a some would peak call it a war game. Some war. <laughs> oh, yes, sure. Sounds perfect. War. Perfect. Um, so it's uh, it's a. I would say that it's a lighter game. So it's meant to be where people who are maybe history buffs but not big gamers can pick it up pretty easily. But yet it's still competitive enough that you know an old grognard who's played Avalon Hills games for forty years still feels pretty comfortable playing it and like it's fine as a teaching game. Um, there's a heavy uh, push on quality components. So the box is 2.5 millimeters thick, which some people have said it's like armor, uh, mm-hmm. compared to a normal box. And there's a lot of wood pieces instead of cardboard counters. So like there's ship meeples and, uh, and then the cards are all linen finished. And so it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say it's like a super deluxe kind of edition, but we tried to make as quality. We didn't, you know, cheat the corners on either right. the card quality or the, you know, the map quality. So we tried to really put a lot of effort into that. It's so. the kind of it's looking at the pictures and I'm showing pictures as we uh, uh, converse. It sounds like it's the kind of quality upgrades that are for like longevity. You know, like, yeah. you can throw these wooden meeples against the floor and it, yes. wouldn't, <laughs> it yes. wouldn't be too much damage. I've only had to replace a handful. So they, mm-hmm. they take a beating. So, um, yeah. So that's what the shorts of Tripoli is. Okay. All right. 
Uh, so yeah, very simple concept. Uh, you know, I, I'm hopefully going to try to get something going. Uh, war game is a little bit tough for me. <laughs> um, so but I might try to get some coverage in the one-stop co-op shop and see if I can make that happen. But let's talk about um, the price okay. and how we get to, uh, how we get to uh, pricing. that. So for the Kickstarter, if you purchased one game, it was $50 plus $10 shipping in the United States. And so that's $60. And then here's the costs that I, as a publisher, have from that. And I'm going to list them all out. It's going to be a little boring, but roll with it. So uh, it's $8. You wanted to know, people. That was you. You wanted to know. You're like, you don't know nothing about prices, Jason. Get somebody on there. And I'm like, here you go. (laughs) And this is all on, actually, an update page for uh, the Kickstarter for the Shirts of Tripoli. So you can see the numbers if these goats buy too fast. So we paid $8.93 per unit produced because we had a 5,000 print run. We spent $20,000 in artwork and uh, prototyping, which we had about 300 play testers. So it was a pretty wide effort. And so $20,000 divided by 5,000 is $4 a game. And then we give a dollar to Toys for Tots for every game sold. So that's another $5,000 or a dollar a game. So those kind of core costs that would never change depending on where we're selling it is $13.93, $14. So then there's a bunch of other costs that vary. Depends on where it's going to and how we're shipping it. So the freight and customs to come to the United States was $1.80. And that's a price that has increased significantly, mm. as we'll talk about later. Um, the Kickstarter and Stripe fees was $4.50. The CrowdOx and Stripe fees were $1.09 because that's how people would pay for their shipping. Um, fulfillment was a total of $15.51, and that included a dollar COVID fee. Now, that's gone up a little bit, too, but that's for shipping to someone here in the United States. And then the designer royalty is 6%. And that's a little weird because I'm the designer, but I want to be in practice for mm-hmm. paying my other designers to pay myself on a quarterly basis. And now, you know, our neck, our designer, Tori Brown, who designed Votes for Women, she gets paid quarterly as the Kickstarter money comes in and as, as people pre-order it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's a good practice. So that all adds up to be $39.73 or about $40. So it sounds like there's $20 profit, um, but that's gross profit. So then we take out the fact we're not going to sell 50,000 games or 5,000 games. We're going to sell 4,700 because we send out review copies and we donate copies to conventions and whatever. And then there's lots of other expenses that eat into that. But if we had just sold the game through Kickstarter, we sold 5,000 copies, we made $20, that'd be $100,000 for two years work. But then we have, you know, $40,000 a year in overhead fees. So that's where you see that money going down. But of course, we don't sell them all on Kickstarter. So that's where this three-tiered situation comes in. So if we sell to a retailer, we're getting $35. Now, some of our costs go down too. The, we still have to pay freight, but the shipping per game is a lot less. It's not $15.41. It's about $4. The designer royalty is a percentage. So instead of being $3, it's $2.10. So, there's, so the costs is down a little bit. And so that profit is more like $12 or $13 a game. If we sell it to a wholesaler, which where we get $28, there's most of the costs are still the same. The designer royalty is a little less. The shipping is slightly less. And there we make about six and a half dollars a game. So way down. it depends on so where you're spending. What does that mean by wholesaler? Are you talking like so, uh, a, uh, a distributor, I guess. is Just Alliance would be Alliance, an example okay. of a distributor. So, okay. um, And there's always little deals going on here and there. Maybe it's 38%, maybe it's 42%, but that's a ballpark. So then the question is where 
how are you selling your games? Are you selling them all direct to consumer? Well, then you're going to actually make some money. If you're selling most of them to retailers, you're going to make a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. And if you're selling wholesalers, then you're, you know, $6 a game, that's $30,000 for two years work, which, you know, yeah, you need to start. Not- yeah. Now, of course, as you get a little, as you know, we get more comfortable making games and learning, you know, advertising smarter then you know, maybe we publish two and three games a year. And then that becomes almost a, you know, middle-class salary for the owner. Um, so that's sort of the ballpark for Shores or Tripoli. Do you want me to talk about boats for women because uh, that's the price increases, or do you want me to put that off till later? We'll go, we'll go off until later. I, I think that right. gives us enough to work with for now. So um, I'm looking at, so first of all, the Kickstarter, Kickstarter is just and direct to consumer is way more profitable for you. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if people appreciate that. Should but talk fl- a little, yeah, talk a little bit more yeah. about like, you know, the, you know, how Kickstarter has really changed the game for small publishers and like really helped it help make it affordable for, you know, folks like you to do your thing. Sure. Because so the $70 MSRP, I feel is too high. Like, I don't feel comfortable charging that. I'd like it to be $60, but that if it's $60, that means retailers aren't paying 35, they're paying 30. That means wholesalers aren't paying 28, they're playing 24, right? And that sort of, that squeezes where we're not making enough profit at all to cover our other costs that we have, you know, the website and warehousing and all, all of those other overhead expenses. So that's why, you know, technically the MSRP is 70, but you never feel good about charging that. But the problem with going direct to consumer then is like our local store in Washington, D.C. is called Labyrinth Games. And it is a fantastic store. And people go in there and they and they do a wonderful job with the local schools and they educate people and they also pay their workers a, a fair wage. Like it's exactly the kind of thing that we want to support. So you're stuck. You're like, I need to sell some direct to consumer so I don't, you know, go broke. But. I also don't want to not support local retailers. And so as a publisher trying to do the ethical thing, you know, you're kind of stuck. And so you're doing a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. So mm-hmm. now if we were only direct to consumer, we could pay, I mean, we could charge less. We could just say, yeah, it's a $50 game plus shipping. Uh, but then we would, you know, we, we would sort of, we would benefit in the short run, but we would not benefit in the long run because then, you know, if everybody did that, local game stores would cease to exist. And and I think right. we would all realize that would be disastrous for the industry. So then talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about, you know, because at the end of the day, my context is kind of like, um, you know, pricing for the common good. It's like, you know, if you just look at the bottom line, there's certain things that make sense, certain things that don't. Right. If you're just looking at the zero, the, the, the numbers and making them work. So if I'm looking at the way you priced out shows of AAA, like you're making 30 some odd dollars. For a direct consumer game, you're making way less. Well, you're also making way less if you're going to Europe. I can notice that too. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the 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 shipping to Spain was like five dollars a game. Uh, net yeah. net gross profit, which is not great. Uh, so then you know, like, but you want to spread the word. So yep. like that is an extra cost. Like if you really wanted to make money, you you would sell in America or wherever, like wherever you can sell the cheapest. So you're you're already making a um a decision to go there for like the good, you know, the good of gaming or whatever. Uh, but then the game stores. Right. And so talk about a little bit, the quote unquote, like elaborate on the color collapse of, you know, like it would be disastrous for us, so to speak. Sure. So 
obviously COVID has scrambled the whole discussion about in-store shopping and you know, I'm not, I don't own a store. I owned a store in the late nineties. So I have an appreciation for what they're going through, but I don't, I can't speak authoritatively like what their numbers are like, but I think that, you know, the game store is a point of contact for customers who want to explore new games. And like, I think, I only think we're in like maybe 20 stores because we're not in the, we're not with re, uh, wholesalers or, or uh, distributors. And so you know, we want people to find our games and you can do that some on the internet. There's certainly marketing that occurs there, but you also, you know, you want someone to be able to come into a store and they're saying, you know, my 14 year old daughter is really interested in women's suffrage. Do you have a game on that? And they're like, yes, we do. It's right here, right? Here's votes for women. Whereas that's just a little harder to do on the internet, right? Search votes for women. You're going to get a million hits about all kinds of stuff. So, right. She was a triple vacation spot. <laughs> exactly. So Marine Corps hymns and stuff. Right. So you know, it's all over the place. And, and I just, you know, I love my local game store. Like the owner, Kathleen is just fantastic. And so, you know, I want her to succeed and it, really everywhere I've lived, there's always been a good game store where, you can, I don't really, you know, I'm at an age where I don't really meet people, but like when I was younger, you know, you would meet people and you would, you know, learn new games. And when you're, if you're not in the industry, I mean, I'm in the industry now, so I've seen every, I'm watching every game that comes out, but uh, you know, if you're not in the industry, but you enjoy the hobby, it's a crucial place. And so then I, as a publisher have an, you know, a fine line to walk in that I need to make sure that I can still eat. And I need to make sure that I can still buy shoes for my daughter. And, you know, I'm lucky that my wife works in educational technology. So between her income and then what I'm doing here, you know, we can squeak out a living, but, you know, like at the same time, so like, I, I need to make sure that I am not only concerned with my own profit line. I need to also make sure I'm concerned with the other parts of the ecosystem or else if all those stores went away, then you'd see a huge consolidation in the gaming industry because only the big boys would be able mm. to fight it out. And, you know, maybe I could make, you know, 500 games selling them, but then I'd have to raise the price and make them a hundred dollars because it's a small print run. And mm. I, that's not the path I want to go down. And I don't, I don't think most publishers do maybe a few, but most of us are concerned about the ecosystem. And so like local game stores, reach niche markets they create new you know markets they, they do all these things that are not that are not going to appear in a balance sheet yes and right. also well you know my local store is fantastic you know it's in a fairly diverse neighborhood they work with all the local schools they're really broadening the interest in games in general it, i mean i'm obviously most interested in historical games but but games in general and so that's really you know a, a really a net good for our industry that you know, we have to be mindful foo. And if that means I make $5,000 less a year or $10,000 less a year, but I know that some stores are going to make, you know, spread out, maybe they only make a thousand dollars more off because of I've done this, but there's, you know, multiply that over, you know, many publishers. And I think that we all kind of have a collective obligation to, to price fairly, but in such a way that we can work with retailers. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, um, so, okay, thank you so much for the education. I think that gives a good context to this second conversation, second part of the conversation, which is where I come in. And I think that 
So I did the video on prices. Please, if you, if, if you listen to podcasts, stop it right now. Go listen to Shelf Stories. Uh, you know, check out what I think about prices. And it's definitely I, worth watching, by the way. And I thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm not talking. I mean, I guess my point is psychological. I stay in my lane. I'm a, I'm a psychologist, and just you know, thinking about how prices play out uh, in psychology and and among you know, as social beings, we you know, think about the common good. It's exactly what my friend Kevin's talking about. He walked right into it. I had no idea. <laughs> But I had a feeling because of the pricing, right? I mean, it's a $70 game. So um, what I'm talking about in the video is the deluxification. And that's a Kickstarter thing for the most, not, that's not just a Kickstarter thing, but like the way it plays out in the modern hobby, like Kickstarter, I feel incentivizes a measure of deluxification. Um, and I'm talking about like minis instead of, you know, of meatballs. I'm talking about game trays with a Z. You know, like, like not just like, or even just special cards or any kind of fear of missing out to drive that, you know, imperative to, to buy. Right. So then, okay. So then um, what I want to really understand is I think there's a a wave of uh, conversation that I've had that says that companies have to do this. Like, this is a thing that companies, you know, like companies going to company and that, you know, they have to make margin. So, um, and again, we're not talking about COVID or manufacturing. We're going to leave that for the third part of the discussion. We're just talking about, let's say it's 2019 and, you know, uh, Marvel uh, United has come out, you know, CMON has come out with like, you know, their stuff with 17 expansions. That's another version of it. Release the entire product line at once, get that all in. And, you know, you don't want to miss out on that exclusives and that, that, the whole thing. Right. Yep. So. I think there's this line of, uh, well, a couple of things. First, that if it's the market can take it, then it, it's fine. It's, it's inbounds. Uh, and second, you know, companies kind of have to do this in order to, you know, exist. So then t- tell me about, uh, educate me a little bit about deluxification and some of the looks that you're uh, making on your face. Sure. So I want to be clear that I would never criticize another publisher because I don't know their business model. I don't know their practice. Like, so that being up front, I'll tell you what we do and then I'll, mildly criticize some things I've seen. Sure. So, you know, our philosophy is that we are going to make the very best game we can. We're not going to keep out secret parts of it or the best parts that you have to pay more for. Like, that's just not, that doesn't philosophically seem right to me. So here's our best game. We put the, all the cards in it. Here's our best pieces, like that we feel that we can afford at this price that we're offering it. And here's the offering. Now, you know, we lose out. We might not get as much fear of missing out from people, but you know, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I feel like we can still put to, we can make enough money mm. by putting together our best product and putting it forward. You're now, still a businessman. This is not a charity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or exactly. that a pure like, charity. Like you're still making margin yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So when I was, so before I started this, like in 2010, when I, when I started back in Kickstarters, I worked in the tech industry and I, I made a fair bit of money and certainly much more than I make now. And so I would see games that I really wanted to support and they would like have an offer, like, you know, back it for $300 and we'll name one of the cities. And so I'd like, there's a city in, um, Oh, what's that game? Kings of Aaron steam. That's named for my oh, daughter, nice. Pageopolis, no Palm page. Cause my daughter's name is Paige, <laughs> Right. Exactly. And so like, I would do those and, you know, I'm kind of a sucker and I'm okay with that because I wanted to see these games made. And that's back when Kickstarter was kind of, I don't want to say it was this pure expression of creativity, but you know, it was a little less, it wasn't, Simon and Queen coming on there. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a marketing engine. Like right. It was, and it wasn't um, a pre-order system. It was it was Adam Poots who's who knows who he's doing. Pub, you know, putting out a name for and it doesn't even have a game yet. He just has yep. art and sculpts, and it's like yep. I promise there's a game, and eventually it worked out. 
and it was the Wild Westy. So like there were a lot of products that didn't work out. Look up Odin's Ravens was, because it was, other, yeah, it was so few though, right? Like like I said, I've backed five hundred thirteen games, and I think I haven't got five. Like it's small. Like yeah, and there's some been some high profile, you know, right. terrible crashes. I get that, but for the most part, like just you know, hardworking people trying to make a game. It's usually not their day job. It's their like something they're doing on the side, and they put together a nice product. And you know, some of the games have been a little subpar, and some have been fantastic. And and you know, I think we need to kind of roll with that as consumers, because you know, I'm also a consumer, and so you know, maybe because I'm a publisher, I give a little more leeway to the publishers. Um, but sure. I don't. So let me segue into really what I think is upsetting you, and I will say that I'm not really pleased about it. Is that I don't like a two-tiered game, which is here's the base game or here, if you spend a bunch more money, you can get like these extras. And while I understand that that's a business practice, it feels like it's, you know, it's classes. Like we're saying here, you know, the plebes can play the base game and then Mm -hmm. the rich people can play the more expensive game. And I don't, I don't think that builds a community and I find that a little tiny bit problematic and you know I don't want to say other companies should not do that because I don't know like I say I don't know their books and you know right. they might have they might have great healthcare system and and pay their employees a lot and so they need to make up that margin some more so I'm not going to criticize Absolutely. explicitly any company but that's not the philosophy that we feel comfortable with and for the reasons just said, like, I don't want this two tiered gaming community where there's, you know, a, a lower tier and an upper tier. And mm-hmm. I understand that exists like magic cards. You got to buy more cards. Like I get it. it. It exists. And right. Like this is the world we live in, mm-hmm. but we don't have to actively make it worse. Like I think we can kind of at least, you know, within the con, you know, within the confines of the capital system that we live in, we can at least be decent. And I think that one of those decencies is trying to make sure that people have a game that everyone can enjoy. And, you know, a couple extra add-on pieces, you know, I'll be honest. So with Votes for Women, our backers have been very patient because of what's been going on in China. And so it wasn't, we didn't have it as a fear of missing out. Oh, you got to buy it. But we might do a little nice little bonus for them just because they've been so patient. But that's, you know, Mm -hmm. Is that one step down this bad road? I'm hoping not, right? I still think that we're fundamentally saying, here's the game. This is the best game that we can put together. Here you go. It's one price. So mm-hmm. that's, I guess, where I'm coming from. Yeah, and if people, if again, people haven't watched the video or if they're still not tracking the argument, the argument is that when you do the, the two-tiered, right? You know, for the plebs and for the, the, the upper class. Uh, I, I don't use this video. I don't use this word in the first video I made, but I use it in the follow-up. Uh, gentrifying. It's yes. almost like you're gentrifying the hobby. And what gentrification is in other contexts, it's when a, a group of people who can afford it, they the they they drive the market, right? They have the purchase power, they drive the market. So it's like if they want it, then companies are like, okay, they want it, so they get it. And then there's this idea that, like, well, the market wants it. And it's like, well, that's not the market speaking. That's like a top level of the market saying that. And then you have this that next step, the plebes. <laughs> Uh, of course, a history person is going to say that <laughs> the plebes. Uh, that you're going to have that 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 second level that could afford it. I mean, it's not we're not talking about huge money. And if we're talking about a you know, I'll, I won't say the name of the game, but like a forty dollar game and an eighty dollar deluxe game, that somebody's going to sit there and say, just on an individual level, I want the eighty dollar game. I can afford that. That's okay. And on on one okay, 
one game. Okay. I don't know every company. That's it. It's just the ecosystem. I love that you use the word ecosystem. When you kind of spread that out, that's going to have a high, a, a price raising effect overall. And so yep. before, so hitting pause of 2019, we definitely saw a arcing upward in price in expectation. I even heard like publishers, like they would post on Twitter saying, oh, I can't believe that demand for game trace, <laughs> you know, they like put like publishers feeling the pressure to be like, well, I got to do this or else or whatever it is. And is that something that you were aware of or just, are you just kind of in a different niche? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're sort of a niche in like, you know, some of these companies are printing 50,000 games and so we're printing 5,000. And so we, you know, we just don't do a game tray. Like people can, you know, people can do whatever they want. Like I've seen some people, you know, you know, take minis and make really nice ships and stuff. And if they want to do that, that's great. But I just, I just don't want to be the one doing that. Let me just briefly though, play devil's advocate. Okay. So if a company does this two tiered system and then they use that, Basically, they soak the rich to make the base game cheaper, or they are really mm-hmm. good to their employees, or they sponsor lots of conventions, or, or they, they pay spon- the designers more. That's another one that people yes. have said. Like, yep. um, that's, it's a side question, but it came up a bunch of times. Designers are underpaid. Uh, Do you agree th- with that? So, yes, but there are people who are paid even worse the developers are paid even worse. Mm-hmm. So, cause designers, like if you get a hit, right, you're golden. Like, uh, you know, Elizabeth Hargrave designed wingspan and it sold 1.2 million copies. Now that's a once, you know, right. once a year, once every couple of years kind of hit. So, you know, you're incentivized as a, a, you know, as a designer to make a really good game. Hopefully you don't let the profit motive crowd out your creative vision and the historical accuracy, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think designers are paid almost fairly. And, you know, we, so, you know, I paid my artists and then Shorts Triple E did really well. So then I sent them all a bonus mm. and, you know, votes for women, I think is going to do exceptionally well next year when we do a second printing and, you know, our flat rate is 6% to our designers of whatever the payment cost is. So like mm-hmm. if it's on Kickstarter, it's $3. If they buy it, you know, full price, $70, that's $4.20. And so whatever that sliding scale is, but then, you know, I actually, so I paid Tori additional to do some marketing work because she knows so much about the subject matter. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, considering no one else is getting rich. I, I think that designer fees are pretty okay. fair. Now there are companies that just don't pay their designers on time. And I got no time for that. Right. Yeah. Like you have, you have an agreement, whether or not it's a written contract, you have an agreement to pay someone, pay them, like mm-hmm. pay them on time, give them accounting that's appropriate. That. There's no room for people who don't pay their bills to designers who are working for, frankly, no one's making any big bucks in this industry unless, you know, you happen to hit this massive hit. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, but I interrupted your thing. So yeah, yeah. let's say, uh, so the new two tier system, they're generating all this extra money and it is extra money. That's not that expensive relative to what you can charge to throw in the minis and throw in the game trays. Like that's just like luxury stuff. And the, you'll, you'll, in, you will increase your margin doing that. So yep. then. You were so giving examples. So, so, you know, as I was saying, like there are good things that a publisher can do with that money, right? Like maybe they give more, like we give, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but you know, we give games to toys for tots. And then also uh, our backers actually gave just as many. So they, we both gave about 150 games to toys for tots. Well, that's nice. pretty great. Right. And 
like I said, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I mean, we do it because it also makes us look like a good corporate citizen because we want to be. But, you know, so then they can do things like support the Zenobia Awards or any of the kind of game designer broadening programs that are out there. Like if you're if they're using that margin to do good things, I'm I guess I'm less upset about it. Mm-hmm. But if it's just a cash grab, then it's really hard to be thrilled about it. And I'm not really thrilled about it anyways, but I'm like, I'm trying to play devil's advocate and say, well, right. here's some reasons why you might do that. Yeah, but I mean, so let's say you have a really popular game and you know, you are using that money to seed the other games. Right. Yep. I, I know companies do that too, right? It's like you have your evergreen and then it's like, okay, let's make my deluxe version of the evergreen because I know that's going to sell. And the deluxe version is going to be cause all sorts of agita. It's like, oh my God, $250 for what? And people complain, but the margin comes in and then you use it to subsidize, take a risk on people, take a risk on minority designers, POC, women, LGBTQ, you know, and maybe those games don't make money, but you're using it to subsidize those groups. Or my friend Andrew Navarro over at Earthborn Games, you're looking at local so- or sourcing, local manufacturing. That, there's so many reasons to pay the extra money that I would, I'm not against at all, right? It's just, yep. is the money getting hoovered up into shareholder value? Right. If it's a cash grab, I don't think any of us are really thrilled with it. So, but if it's, yeah, Mm -hmm. but if there's, you know, some ethical considerations going on on, you know, yes, we're charging a premium for these products, but here's where that premium is going. And if a company's transparent about it, I'm probably less upset about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but if, but if it's just a cash grab, I think we're all on the same page about it. So, well, the two of us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the three people mattered in this conversation. That's right. (laughs) Well, okay. So, my my point being, um, I would like to encourage companies because they, some some people watch my video and they're like, oh, well, Jason doesn't like deluxe. He wants to get rid of deluxe. No, it's not. That's it. I think there's ways to do it. And I think the, you know, the two tier system and the all in packages, like, and the, the different marketing things. I just I question that because I just think it's not good for us as a community. It's not good for our mental health, the, uh, yep. you know, all that kind of thing. Um, that's all. And I would like companies, if you could make margin kind of being a better citizen, please consider. So then, okay. So now we're talking about a $70 game that's, you know, profitable, that you can kind of do, do as a business person, feel good about it, do serve both hands, you know, social responsibility and, and personal profit. That's going to get changed. Now we're going to fast forward 2020, 2021. Um, tell us a little bit. <laughs> sure. Of so what we're looking at. when I was talking earlier, we were talking about the, all the costs that went into Shores of Triple A. Votes for Women, we charge the very same thing, $50 for a game. If you want to buy one, $10 shipping in the United States. And instead of $8.93 for production, it's now in, in 2020 when I got a pricing, it would have been $9.48. We're like, yeah, 50 cents. That's not a big deal. And now in 2021, that production is 1186. So you're talking about, you know, almost $3 increase. And then per unit, per unit. unit. And then there's also the cost of getting the game here. And what previously cost, you know, $1.80 for the Shores of Tripoli will cost, if we ship it, will cost a minimum $5 and more like $7. And so you're talking about that per unit price no matter where you're selling it, because these are hard costs, is $10 more. So now that Kickstarter game where you're making maybe $20 gross profit, now it's $10. When you're selling to a retailer, you're not making $12, $13, you're making $2 or $3. And with a wholesaler, you're actually losing money. Like you're negative on that. You're losing money for every game and you can't make that up on volume. So 
that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're going the wrong way with that. If you go yeah. and, if you're doing volume and you're on a negative thing that you can't wrap yeah. it to the positive, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And so to make it worse is so shipping is a real problem. So the shorts of Triple E got a lot of accolades. The New York magazine said it was the best two-player game of 2020. You know, I think it was definitely a good game. Sure. Uh, but also our shipment, which was supposed to arrive in October, or was not arrived December 21st. And so we missed that just from that one article in New York magazine, I had maybe 600 emails from people saying, I want to get your game. Where can I get it? And I had to say, well, it's on a ship. Sorry. And you know, they want it for Christmas. So they want it for the holidays. So, um, so that hurts. So now we're in a part point where with votes for women, we're going to airmail them here. That's $20 a game. We're only going to do a small print run of 1500. So we're going to lose money or we're going to break even. Now we still think that's worth it as a company because we think this game is amazing. It's about an untold part of history, at least in the gaming world. And I think we're at a point now where history is only about white males. It's a little, we're interested in a broader history of the United States. And so I think that there is a good market for that. And separately, we're trying to source U.S. printing production at the quality that we can get in China. And we don't mind if it's a little bit more money, as long as we can still make a, you know, a reasonable profit and we're saving all that money on the shipping and all the headaches. Uh, it's worth yeah. it to us. And plus we want to reward our Kickstarter backers. I mean, they, they're riding with us and you know, that this game is supposed to get here in the summer and it's late August now, and it's not going to get here till October. And if there's some little bump, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's cooperative. So. It is a historical uh, time subject. Uh, it's a card game. You know, it's going to get going to the one-stop co-op shop. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Be great. Um, so yeah. So, but, but you know, if you're a normal publisher and you have uh you have more overhead than we do, right? You have a warehouse employees, you have on staff designers, whatever, you know, larger companies have these. Well, if there are charges, you know, if the cost to produce their game basically just really doubled and yet they're charging the same price, they're going to be out of money. They're going to lose. And, you know, I think that a company that, um, Tasty Minstrel Games, who I backed a lot of their games. I bought games of theirs before they even used Kickstarter. And they started doing this deluxified game project because the margins, they needed those margins. And even, but doing that shrank their market. And now they're in some kind of modified version of bankruptcy. So, you know. And they still had projects like that were not unfulfilled, right? Well, so I had one project by them that was unfulfilled and a a refund hit my credit card. Okay. I don't know, a week or two ago. So mm-hmm. they're doing the right thing. I'm not, and I'm not slagging them at all. I want to be really clear about that, you know, but they had seven people on staff and that's a lot of mouths to feed. And the margin was there for them and the problems were too great. And I think you're going to see, you know, we're lucky that our overhead is relatively low and so we can survive. And frankly, you know, I had a previous job that I'm, made a little bit of more money so like we can kind of make it through the lean times my mm. wife has a good paying job so we're lucky like this isn't how we necessarily feed ourselves but if that wasn't the case then i'd be a lot more worried i would have a lot more worry lines i'd be more like deluxify deluxe yeah, i mean who knows what I, <laughs> right like but because i'm in a you know in a in a i wouldn't say privileged position but at least a semi-privileged position you know we can ride this out for another year or two but but i think that we're going to hold the line on our game prices, at least for 2020, 
to our Kickstarters will still be $50, $10 shipping in the US for one game. And we're not going to change that, but it's going to squish our margins and, you know, that so be it. We'll maybe have to be a little tighter in some of our donations and, but we're going to do our best to do that. Now, of course, if Target comes along and taps us on the shoulder and says, yeah, we'd like 50,000 games and mm-hmm. yeah, you're only going to make $8 a game, but you know, 50 thousand times eight that's four hundred thousand dollars then we're gonna you know you can hold me to this if our if votes for women it gets an order from target i guarantee you we're gonna spread fifty thousand dollars cash just around people in the industry to help out the ecosystem to make it better so but you know i'm not gonna hold my breath (laughs) nobody else should either so yeah that's lightning the bottle that uh that target thing (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. so and that's the whole other pricing thing in terms of like what the economics of it and you know because target really is a major player in keeping prices down. Yeah. They, oh, they want, they want, you know, fireball Island was like $80 kickstart. And it's like, here, give me a $30 game. And you know, yeah. uh, I'm not taking terraforming Mars. Give me the little card game with the, with, uh, you know, so that's a whole other discussion as well. So it's not like it's, you know, I, I use the word gentrification. That's a scary word. Like everything's getting unaffordable, but I'm just saying that there's that energy in the system and you know, there's yeah. a lot of other things going on too. Yeah. There's pressures both ways. There's always going to be pressures both ways. And all we can do is try to, you know, navigate through that the best we can ethically and yet sensibly from an economic standpoint. And from the social, you know, you said ethical, I would think of it as social, like, you know, caring sure, about absolutely. people's psychology, you know, yep. so we're, we're speaking the same language. Absolutely. Yep. So um, just in sum, uh, so we are going to see, so the deluxification is issue is separate, right? And, you know, so that's the whole thing of rising prices is separate. Now we're talking about the manufacturing, that's 60 slash $70 game. What do you think is going to be, if you had to make like a prediction, not your game necessarily, but like just the average six to seven dollar game. What are we looking at concretely? You're going to either see corners cut on production, having less cards or having thinner cards or having less pieces or wherever or whatever you can do to cut costs, which usually means compromising quality, or you're going to see the $70 game is going to be an $80 game or an $85 game. And that's just really... 10 to $15 ish. Like, I mean, that would be my guess. And I guess, and you know, yeah. and part of it is based on the quantity that people are printing. If they're making 50,000 copies, you know, if it's a big Asmo day game, they can, because they have such a scale, they can absorb it a little bit more and they might only go up $5 or $7 or, you know, however they handle their pricing, but you're definitely going to see a bump up for most folks. Um, as I alluded, alluded to before, we're going to hold the price for 2022, mm-hmm. but, you know, if it keeps going up and, you know, inflation goes up, I can't make any right. promise about what we'll do in 2023. So, so right. I think that's probably, that's my best prediction. You know, I think again, like again, predictions, but I, you know, we hear that prices are going to go up and I think there's that catastrophe instinct of like, okay, well, oh my God, you know, hundred dollars for a, a ticket to ride. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to get that. Well, maybe in 2050. So, okay, wait, so we're not looking at a hundred dollars for a t- ticket to ride quite yet. That's no, a little bit for our pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic is uh, that's my favorite game. You like pandemic? Nice. So uh, <laughs> what is that there. in? What is that? Fifty dollars retail now? Some somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. So I bet you'll see later next year it'll be sixty dollars okay. or fifty-five. Like it'll just it's going to be inevitable unless the publisher has such a hit that they can absorb it because of the quantity they're producing and they can take they can absorb that increased cost or they might like I say they might you know. Oh, because there's money to be made, they can kind of get yep. a, not get yep. away with it, but like it's not going to be a cause outcry to 
raise things the same as other games are being raised and you know so yeah. who knows but that's what we're but, talking about in terms of the range right but i think you're going to see you know inflation is going to creep up and cause lots of things to increase in price so i don't think that you know you're going to see food prices increase by a little bit you're going to see car prices increase by a little bit. like you're going to see this kind of creeping inflation anyways in other parts so it really won't be that much of a surprise in a way i don't think so mm-hmm. Although it'll probably be larger because we're more of a niche industry and, and a little bit of a, I wouldn't say we're a luxury good, but we're mm-hmm. a semi-luxury good, right? I mean, yeah, you know, it tends to be an industry that attracts, a, you know, a slightly wealthier group of folks that mm-hmm. slightly more educated. That's just, that's the nature of the beast. So. Uh, yeah, I think, thank you so much. That was like such a, a great education clarification uh, for me, something, you know, and Again, uh, whenever I put a, a video up on voices, I think there's an instinct to say, okay, I end up canceling and shaming. It's like, no, it's, I, I really want to just have the discussions, but open up lanes for positive ways forward, uh, illumination. And I didn't, I had no idea. I've never even heard of Fort Circle before this whole thing. And now I have, you know, this amazing historical uh, game makers connection with Jason Matthews, who's one of the great historical designers. So we're going to get stuff from him too. So this was awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate the time. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.